is Histories and Mysteries. I'm Ashley. I'm Jessica. And I'm Rochelle. And on this week's episode, it is Halloween. Yay! I'm stoked. Me Me too. too. (laughs) (laughs) So Ashley is going to be talking about some spooky haunted places. Yeah. And I am going to be talking about the role of fantasy in sexual assaults and sexual homicides. Yay! We also have some pretty cool uh, listener stories that Jessica was kind enough to gather for us. So we'll be reading some haunty stories, too. Yeah. I figured I'd jump in since Evie was talking. You can take that out. But <laughs> Joined by my <All> child. Right. <laughs> All right, so last week's episode, Rochelle's stories uh, kind of inspired me, and I wanted to stay on the haunted, kind of like spooky aspect of it. So I actually just like Googled haunted places, and I got this list from, um, I think, BuzzFeed of like the most haunted places in the world. So then I started looking into them. So Curious to know if I know them all or not. You, I think, will definitely know one of them. Definitely for sure one of them. I don't know about the other two, but. Um, so I got my sources from this <laughs> blogger called Attic Voices, which really creeps me out. Um, yeah. <laughs> her name is Maggie Kendall. And then um, the Castle of Good Hope website, Wild China, China Highlights, Washington Post, Bizarre Globe Hopper and censor this. So. My first place is um, a Castle of Good Hope in Cape Town, South Africa. Oh, interesting. Have you heard of that one, either of you? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So <laughs> this um, castle, I put castle in quotations because it's not like really a castle but anyway this castle is the oldest colonial building in south africa it was built in the 17th century by dutch colonists who wanted to use it as a sort of like refreshment station um on one of their the dutch east india company's trade routes so like they would stop here um after you know being on a prison yeah it's not like super pretty it's not like a castle per se like it literally looks like are prisons yeah yeah and funny you should say that because throughout the years it's been used for several things first this like refreshment station um it's been used for an admin center for the um island and then also as a prison mm-hmm. <laughs> a garrison a dungeon and a torture chamber so in fact one of the areas of the castle is known as the donker which translates um, translated means dark hole. It was basically a dungeon room with zero windows, which at this time meant zero light, you know, cause they didn't have like electricity and stuff. Many prisoners were tortured in this room. And it was even recorded that during the winter months, this part of the dungeon would fill up with three feet of water from the swelling ocean tides. So anybody that was chained to the wall during the swell would just be left there to drown. Oh yeah. That's horrible. Isn't that awful? So as renovations have occurred on this building, more they keep finding more and more sealed off brick Bodies? rooms. No, but sealed off brick rooms. Okay, that's just so good. 
yeah so like what caused them to seal these rooms off but then they left like the donker got open so it's kind of weird um but one of the most well-known ghosts of the castle of good hope is that of pieter Giesbert van Noot nailed it who was <laughs> the governor <laughs> thanks he was the governor of the castle in the early to mid 1700s and he was kind of a dick so uh. <laughs> in april of 1729 van Noot sentenced seven soldiers to death by hanging them for desertion but the council said his sentence was unjust and illegal condemnation, and they actually sentenced him to a lesser punishment, but Van Newt overturned their decision, determined to see these men swing from the gallows. One of the soldiers who was about to be hanged demanded that Van Newt come to watch what he had ordered, but when Van Newt refused, the soldier cursed him with his last breath. That night, Van Newt was found slumped over dead in his chair with a look Ew. of shock on his face. Yeah. It's said that his ghost still roams the halls of the castle, cursing out anyone who is unfortunate enough to come across his angry spirit. Unfortunately for the living in this castle, Van Newt is the tamer of the spirits who haunt this place. Security guards reported endless screams for help coming from the torture chamber and a powerful force that seemed to try to suck them in to the Donkergot. No. In 1952, one couple were given special permission to stay overnight in the castle. I couldn't figure out why. Um, they said in the middle of the night, they were awoken to a soldier telling them they had to wake up. When they asked what was going on, he said that there were bus drivers and conductors riding in the street and that they had to leave. As they exited the building, they realized that nothing, nothing was going on and the soldier was mysteriously gone. Mm-hmm. So that is the Castle of Good Hope. And it's still there. They have a website. I think you can stay there now. But Ooh, that's, cool. that's so creepy, especially like the hole. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so the next one is the Forbidden City in Beijing, China. Have you guys heard of that one? Yes. Um, I don't. Sounds familiar. Okay. So the Forbidden City is basically like a castle or like several buildings that make up like the palace system it was constructed in 1406 so yes very old and it took 14 years to complete wow during its time as the actual palace of china's rulers it was home to 24 different emperors and had seen several fires teardowns and remodels it was named the forbidden city because the chinese believed that their emperor was the son of heaven so he was divine which means that no mere mortal um deserving was deserving of being in that castle and with such a long history there is bound to be some unsettled spirits that still roll its ha- roam its halls concubines servants guards and even emperors themselves would poison maim and murder anyone that got in their way for the quest for power one of the most infamous tales from the forbidden city is that of the ming emperor yongle i think i don't know He was an emperor who ruled over China when the Forbidden City had been completed. He had invited several foreign dignitaries to the palace for its great unveiling. And during this time, a sex scandal had had erupted within his harem. Oh. (laughs) Yeah. They didn't say what it was. They just said a sex scandal. 
And uh, it had threatened to humiliate him in front of the world and all these foreign dignitaries. Sounds like you kind of said sex candle. And so then I can just picture <laughs> like a dick. That's a candle. It's a candle just <laughs> getting in the way. <laughs> no, uh, a sex scandal. And a so dick with- scandal. <laughs> I don't know why I said it like that. <laughs> So with fear of humiliation, the emperor had his guards slaughter an estimated 2,800 people in one night. One person said that they were horrified to see that the victims had been split, ripped, and torn to sheds. They murdered the concubines, their servants, and the eunuchs that protected them. Also, the emperor could save face. It wasn't until the 1940s that the Forbidden City was open to the public. And once open, the ghost came out to play. One such ghost is that of a woman dressed in all black roaming the halls. If you approach her, she turns to speak, but she has no face. Only black hair around her featureless head. Oh, ew. Oh, okay. Other guards have seen women crying in what would have been the concubine room. And other women dressed in... Oh, and another woman dressed in a white dress roaming the hall sobbing. They have witnessed odd animals roaming the property, but only at night. And up until 2019, the palace was not open for visitors at night. So most of the tales of hauntings are from the guards, which was hard, which is why it was so hard to find any specific things. Did you say odd animals? Yeah. <laughs> what are the what are the odd animals? I don't oh, know. No. They oh, didn't like say they the, just like said the, odd animals. Okay, I think it's like the odd animal would come by. Not like oh, odd maybe. animals. So I took it as what you did that like they I, were yeah, odd animals. Like, kind of odd animal? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. It's probably the odd animal. <laughs> um but there was one person who was able to go on a tour of the city. Um, and this was during the day. And they said that each doorway had two gatekeepers on each side to keep evil spirits from entering. They're like statues. And each doorway had high steps that you would need to step over to enter the room. When asked, the tour guy said that ghosts can't jump. So these steps caused them to be trapped in the rooms. <laughs> so Chinese, I guess, have like a really long history of believing in ghosts and that kind of thing and they have a lot of like i don't know like respect for the dead and for the ghosts and they have these like different superstitions and so that's one of them is that they can't jump i mean they can float through walls but they can't jump (laughs) can't jump (laughs) all right the last one i have is probably my favorite and uh jessica has talked about it before on um one of our episodes but it is Poveglia Island. Mm, yeah. yeah. So the history of Poveglia Island is long and brutal. It dates all the way back to the year 421. Like, like just, just 421. <laughs> um, it was inhabited first by people fleeing Italy from foreign invaders. And it was a great place because it was small, so it was easily defendable. Um, and it was so small that invaders didn't really deal with it. They're like, meh, whatever. So these settlers lived here for centuries, um, and I guess they didn't have to follow the Italian laws or pay Italian taxes, so kind of perfect. Italy is the most expensive place to go to the bathroom. It costs like four euros to go to the bathroom, like on Vienna or on Venice, on Venice Island. I haven't been to Italy yet, but 
Ugh, it's beautiful. Yeah, I want to go really bad. <clears throat> but yeah, their public bathrooms are like notoriously expensive. Really? I was I was shocked when in Germany you had to pay for the public bath. I was like, you pay for public bathrooms? Everywhere in Europe. <laughs> Even like when yeah. I was in Poland in the Czech Republic, they at their gas stations, they have like somebody just sitting in a chair outside. You have to like give them money. Yeah, that's crazy. But they're nicer. <laughs> yeah, that's true. They do. Yeah. It does kind of pay for the upkeep. Yeah. So these people on this island were kind of like their own little country. And there's two kind of stories. So either because they didn't travel back and forth to the mainland, their population just kind of dwindled. Or another article said that they left due to war. But either way, during the 14th century, the island was once again free of humans. But in 1348, the bubonic plague began its ravage on the world. And at this point, it was killing one in every three Europeans. You know, it's wild Mm -hmm. that in like like 600 years, they're going to be like talking about COVID. I know. Yeah, it's going to be crazy. The kids are going to be learning about it in school and stuff. Yeah. Um, But if you want to know more about the uh, bubonic plague, you can check out our episode, uh, our pandemics episode number 21. But because of this horrible death toll, Venice was sending anyone who was symptomatic or for sure had it to Poveglia Island. Am I saying that right? I think so. I always yeah. thought it was Poveglia. Okay. But I could be wrong. Poveglia. Poveglia. I don't think the cheese is prominent. Okay. Poveglia Island. Poveglia. Um, Poveglia. And they would also I mean, it might dead. be Poveglia because like, tar- like, like, I don't know. Other Italian words are like. MGM. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Either Poveglia or Poveglia. Sorry. Okay. Um, (laughs) Three non-Italian folk. Yeah. Debating over the pronunciation of Italian. They would also ship their dead to be burned on the island. So in the center were these great piers where they would um, burn the dead bodies. Pyres. Pyres. Thank you. (laughs) Great pyres where they would burn the dead bodies. where they would burn the dead bodies and they would also burn those too sick to protest (gasps) so they were still alive and they were dying and they would just throw them on there so their soil is basically just human ash oh i say that (laughs) sorry (laughs) i learned that on ghost adventures (laughs) (laughs) So around, so in the center of the island, they were burning all these people. And then around the center center of the island were those exiled, sick, and dying. They were smelling, inhaling, and seeing their soon-to-be fate. Um, This was again conducted in 1630 when the plague once again burned through the city. After the plague dissipated and life was back to normal, Napoleon used this island to store gunpowder and weapons. It was again easily defendable and no one would try and steal off of there. But um, the new, like, kind of terror and haunting of the island would keep people away anyway, so he didn't really have to worry about people going on there. In the late 1800s, they then decided to put an asylum on the island because that's, why not? Um, And it wasn't one that was really meant for rehabilitation. It was more like a space to just confine people. Um, There were even rumors that in 1930, a doctor at the asylum was conducting experiments on his patients. 
He would perform lobotomies using chisels, hammers, and drills without anesthesia. And then he would take some of his patients to the bell tower for other more sinister experiments. I looked high and low to figure out what kind of experiments he was doing, but I could not find it anywhere. But eventually he went mad and he either leapt off the bell tower killing himself or some people say that patients pushed him off the bell tower. Either way, he died. That reminds me of a supernatural episode. (laughs) like dr alcott or something and he was experimenting on the patients oh oh yeah yeah. i I love povilia island i think the history is so cool it's so fascinating um it was also made into a geriatric center for a short time but that closed pretty quickly after it opened and the island remains abandoned to this day it is illegal to visit Um, And even local fishermen steer clear of the island. Uh, It is said that 50% of the island's soil is human ash. That's wild. Yeah. And I tried to find some really good haunting stories, but because you're not allowed to visit there, there aren't really any. And I know, I know there's people that have snuck on that island, but if they have, they are not telling their story. Well, Ghost Adventures went on and they had some really interesting experiences there. Yeah, I did see the Ghost Adventures went there, um, and they said they couldn't finish the night out, but I don't really put stock in anything they do, but that's just me. (laughs) (laughs) So that is my little haunted stories there for Halloween. I loved it. Thanks. No worries. So some more uh, creepy factors is your story, which can be really creepy, but like in a real human our awful <laughs> creepy kind of way yes <laughs> yeah i am um, i did a criminal profiling course back in college and it was like around the time that i was starting to date i think i mentioned this before <laughs> featuring my child right now apparently <laughs> um i was just starting to date but this criminal profiling course was focusing on sexual assaults and sexual homicides and so it made dating really scary. So, oh, uh, yeah, I bet. The more you know. Yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> so, private mental imagery associated with explicitly erotic feelings accompanied by a physiologic response to sexual arousal, a sexual fantasy may be defined as an erotic yearning or constellation of mental images that evoke sexual arousal. Mm. So daydreaming, as Sigmund Freud described this verb, is a tool to experience repressed desires and instincts that weren't acceptable in our waking world. An individual's sexual drives, sexual fantasies, all begin in one place, the mind. We are all prone to daydreaming. Daydreaming is an escape mechanism for some and just a way to pass the time for others. When one daydreams and ultimately fantasizes, one is able to be whomever they want to be. And can rehearse being the one in charge and the one in power, which ultimately leads to repetition of the crime. There is no end to the amount of time that they may spend in their fantasy, contemplating strategic ways to achieve satisfaction, or in this case, arousal. The role that fantasy plays in sexual assault and sexual homicide crimes is immense, as it acts as an escape mechanism for troubled souls which in turn creates a false reality 
fueling inappropriate behaviors and in due course leading to serial criminal behavior. Mm. That's kind of what happened with um, Ed Kemper. He started fantasizing first and it led to his behavior. Yeah. (laughs) So fantasies give people the opportunity to escape reality if but for a moment. An individual may have low self-esteem and fail to confidently fit into the real world. However, in their fantasy, they are able to be strong, confident, and dignified. Fantasies have the ability to make someone more self-assured because in their fantasies, they come out on top. I mean, in your fantasy, you're not going to be the one that ever loses. (laughs) Right. Exactly. You're going to be the best. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. In most cases of violent offenders, they have an extensive history of mistreatment by others in the early stages of their life. Caretakers, for example, which turn, which in turn created this need for an escape into their own mind, which kind of reminds me of uh, Jeffrey Dahmer a little bit because his parents were always fighting. Yeah. So. And he did say, I think he said that in one of the interview that like he would escape into his mind or whatever. Yeah. Over time, after repetitive mistreatment, coupled with a feeling of emptiness, one may resort to a pseudo-existence or a false or unreal existence. Over time, the person may turn to his pseudo-existence with increasing frequency when he feels stress, depression, or emptiness, and this leads to a dual identity, one, an associated reality, and the other, the secret identity in which he is able to manifest the power and control he would like over others. This particular type of fantasy thinking allows one to revert to this pseudo-existent identity completely disassociated from what is going on around them and becoming a more confident individual that is able to perform the fantasies he wishes upon his victims. In the case of Kim Standard, in which she was brutally raped, tortured, and murdered, one of the accused, Alan Plethory, stated in his statement, quote, I kept spacing out, unquote. Oh. Do you have more to say about that, Oliver? <laughs> Can you hear him? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Oh, right. So he was indicating that he was having this internal struggle with his pseudo existence and in this mental state was able to commit this heinous crime, wherein afterwards he was unable to recall most of the experience because it was blocked out in his pseudo existence. Oh, interesting. Hmm. Secondly, fantasizing allows an individual to rehearse their wildest sadistic dreams over and over again, allowing them to perfect and organize their plan to the very last detail for the time when they finally decide to put this strategy into motion. If this is the case, then why don't more offenses go unnoticed? This is due in part to the organized and disorganized offender profile. Those who are organized offenders will be more characterized by a fantasy life that drives their offenses than their disorganized counterpart. Therefore, those with a higher intelligence will more likely succeed in their fantasy and in real life when performing these acts against their victims as they have the mental capacity to fully think out their plans and find the solution to certain problems that may arise. Further, in playing out the fantasy and perfecting it, the offender also has the capacity to select a modus operandi and signature or ritual in order to strengthen that sexual sadism. The more the fantasy is rehearsed, the more power it acquires and the stronger the association between the fantasy content and sexual arousal. This relates back to the previous point in which they escape into their pseudo existence and being an organized offender who fantasizes, this just strengthens that dissolution. (laughs) Yeah. Perfect. (laughs) 
(laughs) (laughs) Therefore, if the fantasizer does not have the mental capacity to be an organized offender and effectively organize their fantasy before it is executed, then the offense will not be performed adequately because if the fantasy does not include how the act will be executed, when it will be, who it will be, and when will... And what will happen if a surprise comes up? Then the likelihood that the attack will succeed is slim to none. And that always fascinated me was like the organized and disorganized offenders. Because I didn't really think about that as being a thing. So that was pretty interesting. Yeah, for sure. Lastly, the role of fantasy in sexual assault and sexual homicide. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Lastly, the role of fantasy in sexual assaults and sexual homicides plays a part in the sense that fantasizing makes the offender want more and to commit the act again. When the paraphilia is sexual homicide, the experience of the act, such as obtaining the victim, performing ritualistic acts, engaging the victim sexually either before or after death, killing the victim, disposing of the body eluding detection and following the police investigation in the media provides a compelling motive for repetition. Yeah. Essentially this follows the thought of if at first you don't succeed, however, it's for those that do succeed. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) An offender isn't going to continue to commit a crime as odious as sexual assault or homicide. If they were unsuccessful in carrying it out the first time. And this is related mostly to disorganized offenders. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. However, for those organized offenders that were successful, they are going to continue to execute their fantasies on those that are in the wrong place at the wrong time or those that they pre-chose to commit these acts against. Their successes fuel the fire inside of them. It makes them feel indestructible like they are on top of the world. Reference, following the police investigation, these offenders then have the opportunity to evolve their modus operandi and signature in order to elude investigators from catching them. This also adds to the excitement and the want to carry out those deeds more. If that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah, it does. (laughs) (laughs) There is a functional relationship between fantasy and repetitive assaultive behavior in the sense that the more developed and successful the fantasy is when performed in the real world, the more likely an offender is to continue committing these indecent acts upon humanity. In conclusion... The role fantasy has in sexual assaults and sexual homicides is that fantasizing gives one an escape from their life. In fantasizing, one is able to organize their thoughts and plan a perfect crime. And finally, fantasizing success enhances the will to repeat the offense. And there we go. Um, I hated it, but it was great. (laughs) (laughs) It's just creepy to think about like how much fantasizing and, and, and thinking about their crimes they do before they actually commit them. I know. And like all the thought that goes into it is just, it just makes it even more creepy. And when I was trying to date and this class was just focused on sexual assaults, I'm like, (laughs) no, (laughs) I am so scared to meet anybody in public. (laughs) And I met Kyle at 1 a.m. at a coffee shop. No, 1 a.m. Why? Because I finished work (laughs) at midnight. And that's when I was getting to the coffee shop. Otherwise, we would have to push back our first meetup for like another month or so. Oh, gotcha. So we had been talking for a while (laughs) um, for like a couple months before we met in person just because I was working so much and he had his son and it was just 
not lining up. So he bit the bullet and was able to. <laughs> and then we were at the coffee shop till like seven in the morning. Well, at least you met in a public place. Yes. <laughs> but it was funny because we were there from one to seven and we were three hours inside and we're like, okay, I guess we should probably get going like go home. And then we spent another three hours in his car just talking. <laughs> you went into his car, Jessica? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Good thing Kyle wasn't a murderer. Uh, yes, thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> He's pretty good to me, so. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Should we do some of these stories or like what do you want to yeah. do? All righty. So. I got permission from some of these people to use their names, and I also got their pronouns. So the first one is from Gemma, she, her, and she's awesome. She um, just started listening to our podcast. She said, um, she sent me a message this morning and she's Welcome, like, Gemma. yeah, she's like, I love it so much. You guys made me laugh out loud on the treadmill. <laughs> oh, God, I'm so glad. Me too. <laughs> So she says, hiya, love. He's 14. Her son. She was talking about her son. Sorry. Um, (laughs) He's 14 (laughs) now. So I'll try and remember all of it. My pregnancy with him was odd from the start. We were told due to a medical medical condition, we had less than 1% chance of getting pregnant. So we were surprised and thrilled to find out we were. As soon as I found out I was pregnant, I knew I was having a boy. Everyone told me to keep an open mind, but I was positive and started buying boys clothes. Oh, wow. When I was 12 weeks gone, I had to have a special scan and blood tests to check everything was okay because medication could have caused abnormalities. While we were waiting, my mom suddenly burst into tears. She insisted the baby had whispered to her he would be okay. (laughs) And all tests came back fine. When he was born, the midwife held him and said, oh, he's an old soul. Oh, I didn't ask what she meant at the time because I was obviously exhausted, but I wish I had now. When my son was about two months old, he started acting weird. If I held him on my stomach, he would wiggle and cry. But if I held him on my hip or put a pillow between my stomach and him, he was fine. The following month, I found out I was pregnant again. Oh, he didn't want to wish the baby. Yeah. <laughs> we often saw orbs around him in photos and he would often look and babble at nothing, but nothing felt threatening and he was happy enough. So I didn't think much of it. When he started talking, things got stranger. Oh, geez. He would tell us about when he was here before they didn't have TVs or talking toys, but he had a wooden truck he loved. He also lived with another mummy and daddy, but he still loved us. The orbs got more frequent and he would sometimes see them on his baby or sorry. And we would sometimes see them on his baby monitor and he would be laughing at them. (laughs) That would creep me out so much. I know. (laughs) would be awful. (laughs) (laughs) One night I heard him laughing and saying, that's funny. So I asked him what was. And apparently the man in his room was telling him jokes. That's terrifying. At least he's telling him jokes, though. Yeah. Nice. As he got older, he started talking about being here before less, but he told us he used to fall a lot 
but he likes running now because he couldn't before. He also likes the food he has now better because food was always cold before. We asked him about where he lived, but all he could remember was lots of long grass. Like when daddy doesn't cut our garden. (laughs) (laughs) He's always been a hungry kid. And as soon as he finished his breakfast would say he was hungry and asked when was lunch. One time he was around five. I laughed and said he didn't know what hungry was. And he looked really sad all of a sudden and whispered that he did. It was like a shadow passed over his face when he said it. But when I asked what he meant, he brightened up suddenly and just ran off to go play. Oh, my gosh. As I said, he's 14 now and doesn't really remember any of that. However, his room is next to mine. And during lockdown, I would often FaceTime family and friends from my desk. More than once, they would comment on things floating in front of Cameron's door, but nowhere else in the room. This was at different times of the day, and it didn't matter if the light was on or off, so it didn't really seem linked to that. And that's that. Oh, how creepy. I know. Thank you so much, Gemma. Yeah, that was awesome. That's super creepy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that would terrify me. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad the ghosts were nice to him. Me too. But that would terrify me. Yes. And like <laughs> telling jokes. That's always nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, I'll read the next one and then we'll have Rochelle read a third. All right, so Jade, she, her. It took me years to put the details together. It happened in Centerville, Utah. My parents lived in those townhomes at the time. Um, It was my parents, me, and three of my younger brothers. The afternoon of the day it happened. I remember these sales guys coming to our door. I can't remember what they were selling, but I remember they kept pushing my mom to buy into it. She kept turning them down and finally got them to go away when she told them that she would have to discuss it with my dad, who wasn't home at the time. My mom left me and my friend there alone, which wasn't a big deal. My grandma lived in the same neighborhood as she ran errands later in the day. The same guys that were there earlier in the day came back asking to speak to either of my parents. I was stupid enough to tell them that we were home alone. I mean, what kid isn't, right? Right. (laughs) But didn't think much of it. They left after I had told them that. We had a trampoline outside and a zip line leash thing that let our family dog have space to run, but still kept him from running off. We decided to go outside and jump on the trampoline, leaving the dog inside. All of the sudden, our dog started going crazy, barking and hitting the glass door that was between him and the outside. Me and my friend thought he just wanted to go outside with us. So we brought him out and put him on his leash. But he stared, going crazier, running back and forth and growling and barking. Me and my friend finally got spooked enough to call my parents. We explained what was going on. And my dad ended up calling the police. Oh, I just like (laughs) read ahead and it's horrible. (laughs) The police found multiple men hiding around our neighborhood, waiting for the perfect time to kidnap us. It's hard to believe. I thought maybe my little kid mind made it up, but I reached out to my friend a couple years later and asked her if she remembered that night. And she said, yes, it was one of the scariest nights she has ever been through. Oh my gosh, Jay. Isn't that awful? That's terrifying there. And Jade said she was also going to start listening to the podcast. So thanks, Jade. Hi, Jade. Hi, Jade. (laughs) But yes, (laughs) absolutely terrifying. Like, could you even imagine? Oh, my gosh. I couldn't even handle that. No. All right. And then I almost said Jade. (laughs) Rochelle is going to read one more. 
All right. So this next one's from Maya, whose pronouns are they, them. Hey there. As per Facebook, here's my spooky haunted doll story. Ooh, I hate doll stories. They creep me out so much. <laughs> and I haven't read this one yet because I was excited to like be surprised on the podcast. Oh, <laughs> it's a long one, but I promise it's worth it. Yes. I collect dolls. It's creepy. Ooh. I know. <laughs> Most of my friends and family find ways to pawn dolls off on me because of this. <laughs> In my <laughs> senior year of high school, my friend said she had a doll for me. More specifically, a haunted doll who would walk across her room at night <gasps> and try to escape the closet if you hit her in it. Ew! Oh, oh, thank you. <laughs> now, my friend and I have been friends for a long time. However, she is the type of person who says things just to rile you up or likes to tell stories. I figured this was one of those times and she just didn't want the stall anymore and knew she could freak me out. <laughs> either, way, either way, I said I would take it. Eventually, she brings me the doll while I'm at school. She was a ceramic doll with blonde, tight, curled, tightly curled hair and a blue dress with white lace and matching white socks and shoes. Sounds cute. Yeah, sounds terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> Her right shoe was missing. Ew. The doll also apparently wound up and would play Frere Jacques. Oh. Mm. So I take this doll from my friend and stuff it in my backpack and think nothing of it, then bring her home and set her on my bedroom shelf carefully amongst my other dolls. Everything was fine and dandy for a while. Then, from time to time, a few notes of music would come out of her. I thought nothing much of it. She's an old doll. It's bound to happen. However, more things started happening. Our kitchen cabinets would bang and knock, which we attributed to the cat headbutting them. A clear choice. <laughs> it's always the cat. It's always the cat. <laughs> <laughs> I started to have this sense of dread every time I got back to the house and didn't want to enter. At night, I would listen to the knocking go around the house and around my room and would just try and will it away. Now, around this time, I went away to college, started to forget that the doll might be an issue left at home. <laughs> my mom called me one day and she said she was home alone and heard little feet <gasps> like a child running back and forth downstairs. Ew. Oh, my God. She also started to hear the knocking noises and the footsteps around her room. This went on the whole time I was away at college until I got home. When I got home, that dreaded feeling came back. I had trouble sleeping, started to get sick a lot when I was home, and the cabinets had escalated to full-on slamming randomly. Oh, no. Eventually, my mom and I got fed up with it, decided to take matters into our own hands. We turned off every electronic and light in the house, set out to find where it was coming from. Lo and behold, the negative dread was coming from my room, specifically the little blonde doll. Yuck. While we were in the dark room, we heard little skittering noises. Ew. And saw a dark goblin-like creature running around. <sighs> my mom picked the doll up and decided we needed to be rid of her. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I would agree with that. Burn the whole house. <laughs> Start over. 
Yeah, oh God. However, it was the dead of winter in Massachusetts and there was no way we could bury her or burn her. So we did the next best thing. We shoved her into a grocery bag full of sage and started driving to the lake at the community <laughs> over. <laughs> it's a great plan. <laughs> the whole time we were driving we would be overcome with dread and nausea and waves it was a full panic attack at times that went in as soon as it came i started to have scratches down my arms where i was holding the bag on my lap we pulled up to the neighboring lake and hiked out to the beach my mom took the bag and chucked it out as far as she could in the water the doll immediately floated back to shore. Ooh. Oh my gosh. We panicked, possibly screamed like little girls, and opened the bag and started to fill it with rocks. <laughs> oh my gosh, like a dead body. <laughs> After we decided it was duly stuffed with rocks and sage, we took the bag and chucked it out into the lake again. It hovered on the surface for a bit, bubbling, then eventually started to sink down. As soon as it was below the water, we got back in the car and left. As we headed home, I could feel the same dread from time to time and that hot scratch feeling. However, it it slowly faded away by the time we got home. Once we pulled in, the house had a new feeling to it. We never heard the little scampering footsteps or slamming cabinets again. I still do worry that someone might fish up the bag with the doll one day. I also worry about her one missing shoe. Sorry for such a long story, but it's the best one, and I have the best one I have, and absolutely gives me chills each time I tell it. Sincerely, Maya. Whoa! Ew! Thank you, Maya. That was terrifying. I loved it. I hate it. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that was awful. And and they can't even like be mad at their friend because their friend told them it was haunted. <laughs> yeah, oh, that is, that's kind of sneaky though because they did say their friend is like a yeah. <laughs> oh gosh, <laughs> I hate it. All right, we've got two great. little um, small ones left. Jess, you want to read those? Yeah, for sure. So. One of them says, so I have premonition dreams and I predicted my breakup with my ex. He didn't believe me then when it happened and I reminded him and he was speechless of the accuracy. (laughs) Has not been my first nor last dream I've had probably around 2010. The way I know it is not just a freaky dream is because it is a lucid dream. I know I'm dreaming and that I'm receiving a message. Ooh. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I've had that before. Yeah. Yeah. Quite a few times, actually. Creepy. I don't know that I've ever lucid dream dreamt. I'm scared to lucid dream. Because. Why? Well, I'm just like, they always like say that those creepy ass demons are there and that you're like more open and prone to that shit when you're trying to like lucid dream. And... Ew, I didn't know that. I don't see those kind of things when I lucid dream. Well, that's nice. I just kind of like realize that I'm dreaming and then I try to think of like the coolest thing I could do in that moment. I've done that a couple times. Like I knew I was dreaming and I was kind of like half awake, half asleep. And I was able to kind of control what was going on. 
I've only ever had it like once where I knew I was dreaming, but as soon as I figured it out, I woke up. So, (laughs) yeah, no, every time it's so funny. Like every time I drive in my dreams, the brakes never work and I can't run fast forwards. I have to run backwards. I'm like running away from something. Oh my goodness. That's crazy. Every, like, I don't know. It's just strange. That is weird. I have to run fucking backwards because it's like I'm running through peanut butter if I'm running forward. <laughs> That's so weird. So there'll be like something <laughs> chasing me, and then you just see me you can't like do fucking it. <laughs> backwards. Oh my goodness. All right. And the last one was my baby cousin predicted all of her half siblings, a miscarriage, and told me I am her best living friend. <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) My best friend also dated a guy that we couldn't remember what he looked like, and everyone else had a different description of him. Oh, ew. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? That's weird. Yeah. That is super weird. So those are all of our stories. And thank you. Yeah, we loved them. Thank you so much for um getting together and for those of you that sent them in. We really appreciate it. No problem. And we hope you all have a wonderful, spooky, safe, happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Uh, yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you want more of us three lovely ladies, you can find us on historiesandmysteries.ca. We are on uh, uh, TikTok, Histories and Mysteries Pod. And we are on Instagram and Facebook, Histories and Mysteries. And if you'd like to rate and review us, we would really appreciate it because it helps us get out there more and give you guys more content. And I want you to write in and tell us about your best Halloween ever. Yeah, that'd be awesome. All right, everyone, we look forward to bringing you two new stories next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.